Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Uttang namang sankang namasami I'd like to talk about um, energy today, and uh, by this, because I think it's actually a interesting kind of sometimes a bit of a missing piece in in meditative culture cultivation. Partly because there is a word energy, which really virya, which applies to kind of energy of application. Like it's our do it, our ability to marshal and go for it. You know, it's a kind of um, do it energy. But that's part of what I'm talking about as energy. But that's only if you like the pointy end of it. And and there's what I really mean by energy is the whole kind of um, system of vitality, you might say, which is actually bodily and emotional or emotive, and also conceptual. So all those things require energy. You know, just to sit and worry takes energy. <laughs> you don't really have to apply yourself to it, but it still it draws on the basic resource. So it's not an application, you know, determined. It's just something that happens, you know. So all these processes that go on, that we experience as ourselves, are actually all um, drawing energy or using energy or marsh or you know producing energy or somehow recycling energy in particular ways and this is uh, you know quite wonderful really but also problematic because what happens if you keep recycling energy in certain ways such as worry it becomes a track you can't basically carve a groove it's rather like you link up the wiring in a particular way so whenever you switch on the power it runs down that particular wiring, you know. So you, you sort of sit and you become a habitual worrier or you've got a worry pattern, you've got a, an irritation pattern, you've got a depression pattern, you've got a forgiveness pattern, you've got all kinds of patterns, good and bad. And so when you kind of start moving, you, your mind goes down these particular pathways. Kind of you, one creates these pathways. This is perfect the way we think tend to think in particular patterned ways, even our emotions, and uh, even on a kind of subtle level, the body. Mm. These are all bound up with, with uh, the energetic. Yeah. So, you know, just recognize, you know, body is, is a, actually an energy. Although often we very much associate body with what you can see, the kind of tactile, visual lump of meat. You know, there it is, meat and bones. And uh, but in terms of of here and now experience, what we experience as a body is a kind of tingling, vibrant, painful, um, solid, warm. You know, it's these elemental things which are actually energetic. They're continually shifting and changing. They throb and pulse, don't they? That's what you're your sense of your body is. And if you didn't have um, a visual map, yeah, if you just 
took that sense away, what would you experience your body as? Feelings, sensations, pressures, pulses. That's all energetic, isn't it? It's kind of throbbing and pulsing. And um, so this is the kind of basic, you know, unit or basic uh, element or or material of existence is is energy. So in fact, we only, when you realize that intelligence is an energy, you only really know something because there's a shift, if you notice that. You shift, something lights up. You you understood, so there's a little kind of woof. Flash goes on in your brain or somewhere. Flash runs through your system. You understood something, so you get this kind of little lit up feeling. We didn't understand something. You get this kind of woozy, cloudy sense. You know, what's going on if you're contracted? That's an energy, isn't it? Something moves there. Yeah? So it can happen with a thought. You're struggling. What was the name? What? You're struggling with this kind of tight pressure, and then bang, you got it. Oh, that's what it was. You suddenly light up. Hmm? So that, there's, that's an energetic shift. That's what we call you know, understanding something. Yeah? Or, of course, very obviously, the emotions are energetic. You, know, you feel kind of pressurized, weighed down by sorrow, lifted up and buoyant with joy, uh, and everything in between. So thrown around, wanged around by worry or doubt, confusion. These are very energetic in their, in their nature. And often they actually produce obvious results in the physical body. You start twitching or get jumpy, fingers start drumming, or you need to go for a walk because you feel so kind of tight or depressed, or you've got to lie down because you feel overwhelmed, or you can hardly sit still because you're so bubbly, you know, on an emotional level. So they definitely have, it runs right across the whole system of body, intellect or thinking mind, and emotive mind, or the base mind, base or heart. And these are the three formations in Buddhism. Body, kaya, um, thinking mind, vajji, which is able to define and articulate, and, and uh, emotive mind, or citta, which more, is more to do with where we, uh, where we derive meaning and value, where we feel... Um, energy rising up to do something where we're emotionally affected. You know, so these are all energetic in their, in their nature. And they keep referring to each other. They keep kind of tossing the ball around. You know? So, you know, you think something, and you get a thought, and you well, that's terrible. You feel emotionally affected by it. Sometimes it even makes you feel a bit sick. You hear some terrible news on the, on the radio or the telly, you know, kind of something churning in your stomach because of that. Hmm? So it runs right backwards and forwards. Or you don't feel very well. You're feeling a bit sick. So your, your mood is slightly depressed or not very... And your thinking is a bit kind of turgid because you're not feeling well. Or you're just feeling tired. So quite a lot of the problems that people experience in their daily lives, as well as in meditation, just kind of actually neurologically burnt out. (laughs) Because there's so much stuff processed. with all the sense input and things you've got to think about and react to and respond and worry about and hold in your mind. You're you're tuckered. So you just feel frazzled at the end of the day, if that's what's happening. Whereas 
say if you if you're living kind of more uh, contemplative life, you know, at least in theory, the idea is you don't have so much of this kind of stuff going on. So, you know, as we all know, we just abide on a cushion of bliss. <laughs> Energetically suffused with radiance. That's why you would come here to delight in our luminosities. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that because you don't need very, you know, because our systems are so complex that, you know, you can be running around your circuits of worry and doubt without having anybody else interfere with you at all. You can create your own nightmare and burn yourself out. That's, that's the nature of these systems is that these energetic things actually continue and they, they kind of create currents. So as is often the experience in meditation retreats, say, you're sitting there, nobody's doing you any harm, spacious, kind of pleasant, calm, nobody's asking you to really get anywhere. I just finished stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're resentful, or unloved, you know, kind of contracted, or frightened, or worried. What's going on? And in the mind, well, it's because of, because of, oh, wait a minute. You know, because it's the circuits are there, hmm? and uh, suddenly the energy isn't going out doing all kinds of stuff. So it's not completely settled. It just starts to run around these old these old circuits, and we start rehashing and regurgitating and reliving our stories. And the weird thing is, it's out of control. You know? So, and part of the long-term process of awakening is getting to these seemingly involuntary areas of our lives where we are overwhelmed, we're caught, we're snarled. You know, we're not, it's involuntary and making them something that we actually can have some say over. We can disband them. We can heal them. We can release them. We can bless them, you know. We can actually start to get some input in there to change the wiring. So we're not going around the same old tracks anymore. And that's what clearing and purification and all these rather antiseptic terms are about. They're, you know, healing, we could call them a bit more friendly, blessing, you know, whatever you want to call it. Essentially, it's kind of, it's rewiring. Very male way to think about it, isn't it? (laughs) Kind of get a screwdriver out. these, these energetic pathways, so that they are, and if, so that you're not going around these old tracks, and you're a lot more potential then, because you're not carrying all this stuff, you're not continually reinfecting yourself with, this, with these problems and, and, and patterns that you really don't have much say over. You've got a tremendous amount more potential, yeah? and then that potential is then used, channeled by the processes that have cleared. So the very ways in which you've actually accomplished this or brought this around then become the normal ways in which you relate. So, yeah. So in other words, what you do to, to, to change your, your stuff, your involuntary stuff, actually means you, you kind of change who you are. Your whole mode of operating changes. So that, that it becomes loving, for example, um, not just to be nice, but because that feels normal, um, become more flexible, 
you become less compulsive and, and uh, less attached and and so on, you know, there's a certain beauty that occurs because your energy, and that's energetic too, you know, so this is what these kind of radiances that some of these sages um, experience and people who are psychics can actually witness, can see these kind of auras and things lit up around them because the energies have shifted. They're not doing it as a kind of light show, but just that's what's happened. It's that radiance has actually done the transformation and that's what's left when the, these kind of um, old models have been cleared out. There's a process in that. And of course, the, the uh, difficulty with any process is we want to get to the end of it. You know, give me the light show, give me the radiance. Um, now, what, you know, where do I, what do I plug into to get a fix on this? And, but the process actually isn't quite like that, is it? You know, because the process you actually have to come into this rather diseased territory and handle it in the right way, which is the whole pragmatic approach of Buddha Dharma. It's not always inspirational because we like to hear about the radiance and the ever-loving bliss and the unconditioned awareness and the sublime luminosities and so forth but actually what we're stuck with is a nagging doubt in my mind (laughs) that is how to handle that is the kind of nitty gritty of it all it's good to remember those kind of you know the road radiances the luminosities somewhere out there you know to give you a sense of sense of a map you've got to hack your way through the through the jungle to get to to do that particular journey and it's really helpful to I find to just kind of understand the difficulties and the um, residues, if you like, and the processes and the results in terms of, of energy. And this is what I feel that the two primary um, agents or pathways that the Buddha used, is one is samadhi and the other is Brahma-vihara. So samadhi is more like the body approach, actually entering into the kind of bodily sense of it, the somatic sense of it, the sense of tightness or contraction, or you know, which we, we can experience. So the body, the bodily sense becomes very um, soft, becomes luminous, becomes released, becomes relaxed. And if you like, that has a powerful effect on the mind. It's not purely body, because body and mind are not really separate. You know? Anyway we we'll get back to that. And the other is the Brahma-vihara, which is basically the sense of um, loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, gladness, you know, celebration, and equanimity. And these are the, more deal with, obviously, the emotive respect, emotive sense. You know? So if you know, one is more, and you basically you work on both of them. It's not, you know, I'm doing samadhi, I can't have any loving kindness right now. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> the idea is that, you know, because they're both uh, really doing the same thing, but you're working with slightly different ends of the spectrum. But, but essentially, the idea is that they kind of merge into, into doing the same thing because they're shifting energy into more wholesome and um, boundless spaces or boundless regions 
And that's the way, you see, they cul- as well in the enlightenment factors, the two culminating enlightenment factors are samadhi and upeka. Upeka is the culminating Brahma Vihara, equanimity. So that's the culmination of awakening. The awakening process is that these two factors have become accessible and paramount. There's the sense of the what samadhi means, which is a kind of collected, composed, joy, um, enjoyable, pleasant um, unification of body and mind, and equanimity, which is, means that the, the entirety of the, men, of the emotional domain is covered and you're not being thrown around by any of it. You know, you're completely serene with all of it. You know? So it's a very full coverage you know, from the kind of disappointed or the happy or the elated or the aggressive states. You know, you kind of you're chilled out about all that stuff. Yeah. And right in that, it's important to recognize where these, how these things work <clears throat> or where they work because you see obviously you know, when we think of body for example you've got a gross body which is, this, which is basically does things so you go around, you walk, you eat you pick things up, you put things in a kind of gross physical thing and you've got something more which is very much voluntary you know, I can decide what to do with it it's me, it's mine it's the me bit and then we have something which is um, another sense of the body, which is the, 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 the tactile sense, which has less, less decisions over. If it rains, I'm going to get wet. If it's cold, I'm going to get cold. I can decide where I put my body, but essentially the body has this level where it's, it's, it's vulnerable. It's, just, it's got at by things, pleasant things, painful things. So that's, you might say, this is our... Um, Sympathetic, I think it's called sympathetic nervous system, where you actually feel your environment. And you have a parasympathetic, which means how the whole thing feels about that. It's a general overall sense, sort of subtler sense, which is, yeah, you know, um, it's warm, it's okay, I feel comfortable with that. Or it's warm, I don't feel comfortable with that. The quality of comfort or at-easeness how your body is adapted to that. Mm-hmm. So you might sometimes you come from, uh, you know, when you first say you're going into the water, going to the sea, first you put your, feet, your foot in, oh, it feels a bit cold. You, you know, you've got some decision whether you put your foot in the water. You don't have much to say about whether you, whether, how it feels, that's what happens. But after a while you think, yeah, I'm okay with that. I quite like, I like the freshness of it, you yeah? know. Which doesn't mean the temperature has changed any. It means something in your body has assimilated that effect, and it feels, yeah, this is fine. I don't, you know. Or you know, maybe you're, you know, you're, you're kind of climbing something, or and first of all, you could do the thing, and then your body feels kind of uncertain about this particular place I'm climbing. You can feel the feelings, but you, and then after a while. You feel comfortable with that. Your body relaxes, it no longer feels tense. So that is the third sense, is if you like, your inner sense of tension or comfort or easiness or settledness with whatever your body's doing or whether it's receiving, actually. 
Yeah. So, you know, maybe you're sitting down somewhere and somebody comes up and start, you know, touching you. Yeah. I think I like that very much. Actually, the, the phys- fingers going into your ribs or something, or somebody's stroking your back. You know, no, I'm good about that. Then you look around and say, oh, it's, you know, it's somebody you know or your friend. Oh, I feel okay. And your body kind of relaxes. So there's a, what you make of it, isn't it? You know, and you get how you get accustomed to things. Mm-hmm. And that's, 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 we might say, the kind of parasympathetic level of, it, of bodily awareness. And really, when you develop meditation, it's to that particular bit that you're referring. Because that's the bit that, in a way, is the most involuntary, in that it's it's just the system just decides you don't you can't make yourself feel comfortable you can't make yourself relax you have to kind of check it out and let the system do it hmm? like sometimes when you're ill and you don't feel very well and you're struggling you're trying to get better or you're feeling tired and you're trying to not be tired and you're trying to push and get going and eventually something says it's like this let go and you feel okay with it. And so there's a very much a kind of mental or emotional shift that happens that, that actually is directly connected to this bodily level. And once you've done that, once that shift has occurred, then the healing can happen. This happens, you know, both in sickness, sometimes in people's near-death experiences, they get to a place where they're struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling, and finally they accept, okay, it looks like that's, that's it. And at that moment when they accept it, their, their you know, new resource comes in, they, they lift it up, they come out of it. Or you're giving birth, you know, and you're sort of struggling, struggling, eventually let go and the body just does it. So there's this bit where eventually something in you kind of is okay with what's going on. On a bodily sense, even though it's painful, not what you've chosen, you don't know how you can handle it, you go to this kind of involuntary level where you finally something says it's okay, it's the biggest sense of your bodily sense, it's the biggest, and it's the most, um, uh, it's the place where you, you feel least yourself in a way, or least me, and you come to some larger sense of yourself. For many people, that's a kind of mystical experience near-death experience, you know, giving birth or something like that, can have these mystical connotations because suddenly you're into something that's much bigger and vaster and has got energy to it that you didn't even really know about. And poor little old me, struggling way, you know, the voluntary bit hardly knows that. This occurs when the the voluntary bit has, has, in a way, let go. And yet we've accessed that. So these are the different levels. And with samadhi, really, you're trying to work your way... Because you can't have a near-death experience every moment, you know, every day. <laughs> and then you might not even be able to make it. Anyway, it's a bit taxing. <laughs> so samadhi, in a way, is a kind of... is a very skillful process of trying to actually come to this kind of involuntary bodily place where you suddenly you feel blessed and you feel lifted, you're into something bigger. 
And how you do this is through mindfulness, of course. Mindfulness and Dhamma Vijaya inquiry, and it goes through this process of persistence, applying yourself, and then it begins to start to turn when you come into the experience called rapture. So rapture is the sense, it's both voluntary and involuntary. It means you're focused on something and you've really refined your responses to that. Where you're not pushing it, you're not struggling with it, you're not running away from it, you're not dithering somewhere else. You're really focused on what you're doing, uh, but you're not doing it in a kind of compulsive, tight-fisted, you know, egotistical way. It's just something you're carefully doing, like a, like a craft, that you, pl- you feel confident with yourself, you're comfortable, you're just gently doing it. And you, eventually what starts to happen, because you're in, in mindfulness of the body, you're actually working directly on the bodily energy. You're applying a particular quality of responsiveness to the body energy. It begins to, body energy starts to shine. Yeah. Then if you're if you're attuned, you can pick that you pick that up. Yeah, I'm feeling quite good there. Yeah. It all the time just for a second it felt quite free and then it and then another second, the end of the breathing, or as I as I breathe out and feel my hands, I feel this sense of release. Oh, that's the good bit. And you pick up that that tone and you start to play with it and you start to invite it, and you start to lean into it, and you start to breathe it, and you start to let your emotions attune to it, and you let your attitudes attune to it. You realize it's not a get in there and knock it out experience. It's very much a kind of a, a reciprocal play, where you do a bit, but you have to do a bit and listen, like playing an instrument in an orchestra. So you both attune to your instrument, also you're hearing the kind of tones that are coming back and you stay in tune with that. This is very, so this is actually pivotal. And you don't do anything by purely voluntary effort, like I'm going to get some rapture now, Knock, you know, or I've got to get some rapture. I can't do it. You know, I'm a completely unwrapped being. Or it depends how hard you try. I can't get rapture, so I don't try hard enough. It doesn't, it's not that either. And it really, just to, even if you, you know, just to kind of not make it some bullseye you've got to hit, but if you've got that understanding, hey, it's about joyfulness. Mm. It's about a sense of ease. It's about a sense of some, listening in and picking up something. It really does help in, right in how you Establish mindfulness. You know, what, what that's about. Because mindfulness is this ability to kind of bear something in mind. So you're definitely focusing on a particular theme, like body uh, or, or mood or something. You're definitely focus, or breathing in and out or the whole body. You definitely focus on a particular theme. And um, you know, it's a kind of just an objective sense. There's that, there's that, there's that. That's what you want like you're playing the piano, you don't want to hit any old note, you've got to hit that key. So you keep bong, 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 bong. But unfortunately, when you take this as a piece of raw information, you, th- that's, you think that's all you do. So you just go bong, 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 bong. You don't actually listen. <laughs> you know? 
Because that, that, in a way, that, that's kind of an assumed, maybe. You know, when the Buddha says, you look at a mindful, you're mindful of a body when it's dead. You know, and you're mindful of when it's, when it's um, um, dead for five days. This is a very crude, coarse example of mindfulness. You're not just kind of, uh-huh. You're taking something in, aren't you? Or you're mindful of fear. Or you're mindful of, of love. Or you're mindful of hatred. You're not just... The mindfulness establishes the boundary. It says, don't, you know, don't react to this. Don't run away from it. Just be there with it. But it's also, you are sensing, hey, this is what fear feels like. Or this is what um, you know, a dead body does to your mind when you see it. So you're definitely receiving something with that. This is the quality of sampajanya, or full awareness. So that's a kind of given with mindfulness, that you will actually pick something up. And what can happen, particularly in some techniques of mindfulness, is you get, one gets so focused on, on hit the target all the time, get to that particular point in your breath or your body, just keep, don't, that you don't get the message of, listen up, you know. So you, in fact, the mind starts to tighten and contract into this place where it's not receptive anymore because there's so much emphasis on making sure you hit that little, that little bullseye every time. If you don't, you got it wrong, so go back and do it again. So that is not going to take you to rapture. <laughs> rupture, maybe, but not rapture. Because, <laughs> you know, you just get tight. Now, it's not to say you're just sloppy old, anywhere will do, but it's a sense of, you know, there's a, you're aiming, you're tuning in, and what, what do you pick up with that? particularly on this subtler level of how it's affecting you. How am I with this? Am I pushing too hard? Am I um, not giving it enough? Am I kind of not really there with it? I'm just not interested. So you've got to kind of learn these things and think, what actually makes me interested in this? What can I feel full and attentive to? And that helps you determine what you're going to meditate on. How you're going to do it. There's no point in trying to Force your mind to eat some dinner that it doesn't want to eat. You know, it's not going to do it. So, the Buddha gives this analogy of the cook, the wise cook, who cooks up some food, gives it to the king, and he waits to see which bit the king eats. So, you notice the king pushes his potatoes away and he eats the broccoli or whatever it is and he, oh, he doesn't like potatoes the next day he brings him some more broccoli you know maybe a bit of asparagus or he's a veg- vegetarian king of course being a Buddhist so, so he notices he still doesn't like he doesn't like the asparagus either so he just keeps checking out what does the king actually pick up and he says well that's what I'll serve him so eventually he serves him the meal and the king says wow this cook is great you know and he, 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 he gives the cook a raise, or something like that. Anyway, the, theory, the theme is that with mindfulness, you're kind of presenting particular things. So, well, does the mind pick that up? Yeah? And is it just because we're having a bad day today, or is it really just something that doesn't work for me? And so you've got some senses in which you begin to feel, well, you know, maybe I need to be with the whole body or with walking, Sometimes when your energies are flat or standing or reclining, breathing in and out. 
and uh, so on. So you, you, you sort of, or particular aspects of, of the meditation object that really you, you tune into more thoroughly. How wide your focus is. And these are all things you have to find out for yourself. The Buddha doesn't lay down that narrow um, definition. Actually, pretty large scope, wide scope. Even with breathing in and out, which is the most refined, doesn't say you should focus on your nose, your belly, your chest, just wherever, really. Just know you're breathing in, breathing out. Now, that's not too refined, you know. Breathing in, breathing out. So you generally, if you can't, you know, you can get that. And where do you feel it? And as you tune into that, then he says, well, then once you've got that sense of being able to be with it, whoever you are, then you widen to feeling it in your whole body, through the whole body. So this, in fact, is a very strong indication of what's being talked about is the energy that goes along with the breathing. Because obviously this respiratory bit going between your mouth and your lungs, that's not going to go, that doesn't go over your whole, whole body. But the sense, the energetic sense of what happens when you breathe in and out, you brighten up, when you breathe in, you tend to diffuse, when you breathe out, that does go through the whole body. So that's the kind of particular pattern that you begin to follow. And there's a very good reason for that. Because when, as you open up, as you begin to establish this tune, this theme of the breathing, which is a re- healing, actually. It's a kind of refreshing, regenerative. It's the home base of energy. You establish that and you spread it through your whole body. You begin to spread it through all parts of your body that you may, in fact, not really check in with that much. Yeah. And not just parts like your, your fingers or your toes or your ears, but, if you like, energies in your body that you don't notice very much. Mm-hmm. Or moods in your body you don't feel, you feel a bit tense. Oh, that's funny. Where, where's that? You may find it in your neck or your shoulders, but actually there's an overall tension or a withdrawn sense. Or you find bits of your body seem kind of, your bodily sense seems a bit numb. Or we very, feel very hyper. That is, your energies are rushing up all the time. Or it's kind of zigzagging. And you didn't really take that into account. So you're accessing not just the whole body in terms of the, this anatomical map, but the energetic map of it. And you start to suffuse that whole experience with this, this rhythm, this rhythmic cleansing sense. And that's the theme. It's calming, steady. So you're, you've got something that, is a lit, that starts off as being voluntary, you know, but you're, like you're actually tuning into the breathing, but then you're taking it into an involuntary level. And there's that mixture, because in a way you're determining to do that. You're saying, now I will be aware of the whole body. So you, in a way you widen your focus to include the whole body, not just the material domain, but if you like, the subtle energies of the body to include that and you breathe through all of that breathing in, breathing out through all of that there's a way of levelling and uh, cleansing and uh, stabilising the body energy Mm -hmm. 
So that's actually very therapeutic. Because, uh, you know, even when physically you're, you know, material, gross material level, you're okay. Energetically, you can be really pretty, pretty messed up. You know, you go through a lot of electronic gadgets and gizmos, watching a TV, watching a computer, or even pe- emotional effects can leave you feeling defensive and tight or depleted. Because, as I said before, the body and the mind are not separate. So when you get powerful emotional effects, they affect your body energy as well. So the... I think the, the theme with, with that you know, bodily way of dealing with it is you actually bypass the stories. Particularly when, you, when the, the effect comes primarily from emotional sources. Like I'm feeling really bashed up because somebody was very unpleasant to me today. You know, she was really nasty to me today. I feel really thumped by it. And then, so you start to go to that thing and you but she shouldn't do that. Why are people like this? Suppose there's something wrong with me. How dare she? I should love her after all. She's probably just working out some karma or something, but I want to tear her eyes out. But no, 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 naughty thought. So, you know, you can actually hit that emotional stuff and start to get all the emotional and conceptual responses and the confusions around these things. Because often anger is just some way in which the energy is trying to re-establish itself. Hmm? So you get this kind of sense of bristling try and get your energy back. Now on an emotional level, that can feel like I'm going I'm to really give her a bash next time I see her. <laughs> Which is not, for most of us, not really something we want to we follow, hopefully. So it's, you kind of, oh no, no, I don't want to do that. So you get this kind of emotional um, kind of, you know, cross currents. So the thing doesn't resolve itself. You go to the bodily sense of you don't have to worry about who did it or why or what you're like or what people are like or life in general. It just goes to the feeling of a bit crumpled, a bit knocked around. Okay, let's just breathe in and out into that. So it's, it's kind of simpler in some ways. But, yeah. But of course, the, you know, the problem with, or the drawback with that is that, okay, so you, you know, you, you're fine in your cushion, you dealt with your thing, and you come out, open your eyes, start walking around talking to people, and you've come out of that level of kind of subtle bodily experience, it's very much to the, to the, you might say, the emotional, uh, conceptual ways in which we normally relate to each other. We don't generally go around feeling each other's bodily auras. <laughs> Maybe we should, you know, kind of just tune in and just enjoy each other's radiances and luminosities and so forth. But generally, we kind of emotionally and verbally interrelate. So you come back to that place, and you've left that place wherever you were kind of all full and, and radiant and okay, and you're back to this other place in your system, and you, the same thing happens. <laughs> yeah. Because if you like, the samadhi goes is a, like a depth experience, but it doesn't, doesn't really have much span to it. You know? So you don't necessarily bring that to bear upon your, might say for want of a better word, the social domain. 
you can't be socially in samadhi. <laughs> it's not a social experience. <laughs> so, you know, you come to the social level, all you think is, oh God, these people are getting in the way of my samadhi. <laughs> I was all right on my own. I've got to deal with these pest kesky people. So you're back in your crabby old emotional state, probably crabbier than ever before, because now you can sanctify it. <laughs> As, you know because they're getting in the way of my samadhi. You know, they're bothering me. So, you know, then it's something, then you come back to being crabby and whatever, or, or you know, fearful, or so, because you haven't actually dealt with that domain. It's difficult to shift from a really internal place to a, you know, to an, the, the appearances are, are confusing, aren't they? It really looks like you know, there's things out there. We're a different. St- we're a different system. You don't. It's difficult to really retain the quality of that kind of suffusiveness and that easefulness when you're in a, something that the sense realm tells you this is very separate now. You're out there and I'm in here. You know, and we are different people. When you're in samadhi, it's all blended down into one. You know, you kind of lovely. Nobody else bothering me, nothing else. And you come to this level and suddenly it's all bits and pieces again. And you get the feeling of, well, am I all right? Am I being, you know, what they think? And is she, she going to do this? And what about tomorrow? And oh dear, and, you know, nothing's actually happened yet. And already I'm starting to feel a bit, you know, crinkly about it all. <laughs> Just the very possibility of it. Sometimes when you retreat, you even start to think about the next day, you think, oh my God, no. Could drive the traffic, you know, people see my mother in law, gee, well, you know, forget it, don't worry about it, you know, back to the breath. <laughs> so, this is where you know, the whole Brahma Vihara thing is, is so, so important, actually. And it's not, again, it's not just the kind of me being nice to people bit, it actually goes very deep. As you know, so you contemplate the kind of, what we might say, the mental or the emotive or the, 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 you know, that base of our experience. You have, again, three fundamental places, you know, which actually corresponds to those bodily senses. The me sense, which is me as the agent. This is me deciding I'm going to do something, going ahead and do my plan, bump, do it which is rather like the gross body. It's a fairly gross state. I am pretty gross. Those who know me know I am fairly gross. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, got, it's sort of blinkered and it's going this particular way. And then there's mine, or what's happening to me, or of me, you know, which is to do with how other objects, people, etc. affect the sense of me. So I'm not just gross, I'm also a little bit subtle and responsive. You know, I'm affected by things and people, there's things I want to be with, things I don't want to be with. That sense of mine. So it's a kind of much more uh, expanded sense and much more responsive sense than just the pure me thing. And then the sum total of that is myself. Which is what I make of it. I had a pretty good day today. I, you know, I did a few things I wanted to do. And people were quite nice to me. 
you know, and, and nobody took away things that were mine, and people, so the mind bit was okay, you know, um, people, people were nice to me, people, world around me was good, what was mine, what I was in was fine, and then I did my bit, and I was pleased with that. So overall, myself feels comfortable in this realm. Sometimes it's not like that. You know, I was working really hard, but nobody seemed to appreciate what I was doing, you know, or this didn't work, or that didn't work, and a bad day. So out of the results of these things give us our kind of our overall impression of ourself, which is a subtle thing, isn't it? You don't know what it is, but you know it is. It's happening all the time. It's partly from what I do, it's partly from what is done to me. You know, it's my ability to be myself, but also to be liked, respected, appreciated, not abused and so forth by other people. And then when I add those two up, it gives me my sense of, yeah, yeah, I feel okay here. And it, they go wrong. One of those goes wrong. I'm giving this great talk, everybody else is falling asleep. <laughs> I suddenly notice that, I think, oh dear, I don't feel so good anymore. Or if it's really listening and attentive, I can't think what to say. I feel embarrassed or awkward, disappointed in myself. Yeah. So this is when you're practicing the Brahma Vihara, you're really practicing with this particular place. So if we take this simplistically, we may think, well, loving kindness means loving kindness for me. I want to be happy for me. Everybody's going to be compassionate to me. But that, that is a very simplistic and rather crude way of looking at it. It's really, can I be, you know, can I have this sense of empathy with the overall picture of what I'm sensing myself as being, myself. Loving kindness towards myself as to others is the expression, towards atta. And atta is not me, it's the, it's the overall sense of self. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I have to like me, but it's a sense in which you know, all of the bits of me, the bits that I'm really embarrassed about, bits that feel inadequate, the bits that are really useful and good and positive, and all the bits of mine, all the things that are done to me, I'm really okay with that. I'm not confused by it. You know? So, this is where you work with metta, karuna, loving kindness, compassion. So, you, you know, yourself, you, you don't feel you're getting anywhere. So there's compassion for that sense. You're not trying to develop your skills playing darts or canoeing. You know. But, you, you know, you're not looking at particular things you do, but the overall sense of where my life is taking me, which you can sense at any particular moment, your, your overall sense, which can be sometimes from external circumstances, sometimes just from internal programming. So quite a lot of our voluntary activities can be ways in which you try to get away from this involuntary shadow that we feel ourselves. You know, 
got this sense of inadequacy, not really quite good enough. So I'll develop, learn French, develop weightlifting, um, scuba diving, something to say, I feel I'm positive, you know, I'm getting somewhere. It actually doesn't do it, does it? <laughs> you know, the shadow continues, you're not very good with that. So you can't deal with these things purely on the, the me level or, you know, eating cream cakes or something like that to pick me up which is often what people will tend to do, either tend to do something to feel positive or get hold of something to feel positive. You know, let's have a drink, let's have something to eat, let's uh, play some music, that will pick me up. And it, it, it has its effects, but it's not the deep effect of the sense of disappointment, the sense of never quite good enough. Let's just hold that sense, which is not specific, it's overall tonality and wow, what's it like just to be with that that sense and may this be well this non-aversion kindness towards that sense so then you're really going so this is actually taking you a very kind of deep level in the mind so that really equates to the the body experience you enter in samadhi. So they really come into the same place of a kind of involuntary sense that we don't necessarily touch into, but sits behind us. And quite a lot of our life is spent compensating for it or doing things to avoid going into it or not quite certain about it, but in meditation, bonk, (laughs) there you are. It all comes up because you can't do your things and you can't get the affirmations from other people and you can't run your acts. Sometimes we actually meditate in a way to try to use meditation as a kind of ego-affirming experience. Here I'm going to get the 15 stages or the six of these or the two of those or the longest sitter or the, the longest walker or whatever. And, you know, big crunches that come in our lives, whenever we can't actually succeed, you know, in whatever we're doing, in our marriage, in our job, in our meditation, in whatever, you know, and then if you're not prepared, then you get the breakdowns. Sometimes if you are a bit prepared, you get a bit of a breakdown, you get the kind of disillusionment, despond, and you drop through these voluntary levels of what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years to make myself feel okay, you come to the involuntary level of, oh God, it's such a struggle being out here. So that's where you come to, and that's the bit that has to be healed. So really, with meditation, you tend to get there a bit quicker if you're doing it right. And also, but you want to get there with, with right understanding what to do. So I think quite a lot of uh, teachings that, that are given these monasteries are really people talking, monks and nuns talking about their sense of you know, despair and their struggles. Not because that's all they experience, because it's important to say, hey, this is not something that's going really radically wrong. Nothing to be ashamed of. We're not here to perform or just kind of show off our trophies. We're here to say, you know, there's a territory here that we're familiar with that is about the involuntary sense of self, of 
you know, I've had an education, you know, my mum did love me, and I'm still feeling rotten. <laughs> and I'm being given alms food every day, and I'm living without taxes and so forth, and I still feel like I'm miserable, you know, and I, because it's not really on that, that impingement level, it's a kind of, you know, more, more deeply rooted than that. And we have to go deep for that and have the courage to do that and the understanding that this is, this is the place but then also the understanding of, of how you actually deal with that place you don't just go there and just go spiraling round and round in a kind of sense of helplessness this is really what the processes of these deep practices are about they're about suffusion for example Brahmavihara and Samadhi are both about suffusing the entirety, which means you're not particularly pointing to an object and defining it. That's a thought, that's a feeling. You're actually feeling the energy of it. Energy is not, it's a, energy is a suffusive experience, isn't it? It's not, you know, so you're not defining things by their, their external form, that is, a thought, a mood, a feeling, or a sensation, or even the ethical sense a bad thought, a nice thought, you're feeling the energy of it, this bristles, this heats, this sags, this cringes, this, this radiates. And you're feeling, which is, the, which is the good one? Can I come to the place which feels like the suffusing, the radiant, the caring, the, the transmitting? That's the one. And you focus in on that and you actually spread that energy just by focusing through the whole field. So it's a kind of opening of the mind and a suffusion of energy that occurs on a, on a subtle level. So that's kind of, you know, the way you do it. And once you understand this energy you're working with, you have much more of a feeling for both how you do that and what you're actually dealing with. Because energy itself is not... Is not a volunt- not entirely voluntary, but it can be induced. It's something, it's about uh, like enthusiasm, suffusing, um, blessing, emanating, spreading, radiating, caring, handling. It's that kind of quality. It's, it's a relational sense. So and this is really what we develop in meditation. So for that, you've got to ha- have a sense you're not just kind of pinging off of particular objects. It's how, how you relate to these things. Yeah. How you, so, and this, this is where the rapture sense is quite a crucial one because it's, first of all, you start to kind of open up to energetic experience. It could be quite rocky at first. Sometimes people find either they just get, they, rapture gets kind of bouncy. They get jangled around, thrown around by it. So you, You've got to actually spread and calm and steady. So it goes rapture, tranquility, so you're feeling at ease and you're spreading and spreading into, you know, basically into the whole body. And then the thing starts to settle and your mind becomes unified. Similarly with uh, the Brahma Vihara, you start off with something that's very much more like um, nourishing the metta experience. And it moves towards this kind of steady state of equanimity. We just spread that awareness over the entirety of the your emotional spectrum. 
And it's not really about particular things in themselves, but the very sense of, of um, receptivity of the, the mind itself is your, is your, is your object. It's like the body itself is your object on an energetic level. So these are kind of, you know, ways in which we work and cultivate. And I think certainly my recommendation is, to, is because you, you know, you put up words like samadhi and equanimity and awakening, and you, you put them up there, and very often the energetic, the effect can be one of, of oh no, you know, it's those words again. <laughs> and you feel kind of overwhelmed by them. So, it's, you know, often it's just sometimes said that really all you need is mindfulness. Because that kind of is, is what will take you there. If you, if, you, if you establish that and you just start to keep listening and let your... Like as Lumpur often calls it, this intuitive sense, this sense of gathering and listening and attending, actually l- listen up and then feel out what is skillful, what is unskillful, you know, what actually suffuses, what radiates, what calms, what, what rejoices, what gladdens, even if it's kind of just a little bit at a time and you tune into that and you begin to open your awareness to spread that through the whole of your body and your mind. You know, either of those, depending, you know, which seems to be the, the most fruitful field to cultivate. And even, you know, just picking that up as a kind of model, you know, of how, how we meditate. As for myself, certainly, you know, I mean, a lot of the time it's just actually, you know, just changing, who, changing my approach to life from being just out there as me, the doer, the lump, into something that's actually receptive, and then something that can allow itself to be, you know, involuntary. I mean, in other words, not in charge of things, not doing things, but just receiving and feeling and sensing and and trusting that. So there is a, a kind of larger statement that starts to get established in your life pattern. You know, you're less busy, less concerned about your events and your and your doingness, and much more in tune with how your beingness is affected and balanced in terms of your internal and the external domains. Mm-hmm. Um,